0: In today's episode of the Sixers Beat, Rich and I dive back into the listener mailbag, talking about playoff rotations, who will close games in the playoffs, how they might match up with the Nets in terms of defensive assignments, what Furkan Korkmaz's next contract could look like, and more. If you're not already an Athletic subscriber, head on over to theathletic.com slash Sixers Beat. You can get a discounted subscription. We get credit for sending you. It's a win-win. If you have a question you would like for us to answer on a future mailbag, Send an email to mailbag at sixersbeat.com and we will look at it. Enjoy the podcast. Alright, welcome everybody. This is Derek Bodner. joined by Rich Hoffman on the Sixers Beat, part of the Athletics Podcast Network. Coming back to you after another game that was pretty much predetermined. Not completely predetermined, there was what, I think Atlanta started on an 11-2 to run early on, uh, and then the Sixers walloped them with a 42-20 to second quarter to remove any doubt in that one. But, how you doing, Rich?
1: I'm great. I, uh... I thought early on that it wasn't gonna be a thirty point win. It was. I, it was. They didn't actually win by thirty, but it, it was pretty much a thirty point win. It was I mean, honestly, for taking a pretty good punch from Atlanta starters and a, a very good Trey Young scoring game it was not that close. No. And <laughs> they I'm sorry to the one thing, when they went small at the end of the second quarter, I mean they the Sixers just ate that a lot. Yeah, yeah. And they, they sort of went small a little bit out of necessity because of foul trouble.
0: Uh, but they had they had no chance. And Embiid and Simmons, it was, it was funny because at the beginning, the Sixer starters got outplayed. And then the bench came in, did a good job. And I thought the bench was key in two stretches of that game. You know, this sort of the second half of that first quarter to sort of regain control of the game. And then also then late in the third, early in the fourth, to make sure that the starters didn't have to come back out. And now, granted, in that second instance, they were granted a 23 or a 25-point lead, something in that range. So it wasn't exactly the toughest assignment in the world, but they accomplished the feat. Kept these starters minutes low, and that was that was big. But yeah, the Sixers didn't come out great, uh, regrouped pretty quickly, walloped them there in a, in a big way, and... I mean we haven't had a competitive game in a long time. You said that wasn't wasn't a 30-point game? Technically wasn't. It was a 22-point win. It could have been a 30 if the Sixers cared. Uh I don't know how many of these games we're going to see high leverage minutes of, but we are at least seeing winning basketball.
1: Yeah. The uh, and to the bench's credit, they were the ones who turned the game around in the first half and you you know, you see Atlanta a team that again, they got Trey back and he was very good in that game, honestly. I mean, the Sixers did a good job of taking his passing away, I thought, for the most part, and sticking to shooters. And, you know, he, he got a couple lobs, but but he he definitely did a good job as a scorer in the mid-range, and, and he made some threes. Um, but you could see when they got to their bench, like, not a very good Lou Williams game. And the Sixers, you know, they go from having nobody available to, wow, Our the team. entire team's healthy. Yeah. And guess what? They're going to win a lot of games when, uh, when that happens. It, uh, I, I got a kick out of Embiid has this ritual at the end of games. You know, it's over when he does two things. He unties his shoes. He makes a big deal about that. And he goes from the cool down area behind the basket and he plops right next to, uh, Sam Cassell in his assigned seat on the bench. You know that that's when he is. Officially saying, all right, I'm not going back in the game. And that was after I think Dwight Howard's fourth and one of the game. He didn't, he didn't make all of the three point plays because he didn't make the free throws, but he got fouled and made the basket four times. I think, uh, Anyeka Akangwu, who I can't really say he's one of those rookies who, uh, I liked coming into the draft. I can't say I've watched him a ton this year. I know he's battled some injuries, did not have, uh, the, uh, the requisite strength to, to deal with Dwight down low. Yeah.
0: Yeah, no, and 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 for as much credit as a bench gets, and they get a lot of credit for that game, you know, the Sixers, when the Sixers starters came back in in that second quarter, that was one of the best stretches of Ben Simmons uh, that we've seen in quite a while. And Ben's been playing good since coming back, but that was an exceptional stretch on both ends of the court. Uh, Embiid had a, a a real big second quarter. The starters then took it to them in the second quarter. Real good all-around game. Like you said, a big game from Dwight off the bench, 19 and 11. The bench group as a whole played well. Uh, the Sixers starters... Well, you didn't get maybe the shooting from uh, from your role players. The Sixers stars played well in their relatively limited minutes. Um looking at the minute totals now. Curry and Harris both just under 24 minutes. Embiid <laughs> under 25 and Simmons they pushed them all the way to almost 27 minutes in that one.
1: They um, were they were blowing them out and they weren't even making threes for most of the night. I yeah. know Korkmaz and Milton made a couple at the end to make it a more respectable total but they were sub 30% and they were up 25 points, just battering them in the, uh, in the paint.
0: Both teams shot an identical 10 for 28 from three point range, which is, a uh, interesting. Um, all right, but I don't really have, <laughs> I, I I'd love to talk about some of these games and some of these games could have been interesting because you had a, a two game series with Milwaukee. You had a two game series with Atlanta. Theoretically, those present more interesting opportunities to analyze a game because you have adjustments, but when the lineups fluctuate as much as they do. We're not comparing apples to apples. Anyway, the the Hawks didn't play in that first game. As far as I'm concerned, like the Sixers didn't play in the second Milwaukee game. It's just, it's the way the season has been.
1: The only thing that would have made that game interesting was if they played outside in the wind. (laughs) Yes. It was a windy freaking day. Yeah. If the NBA had to play outside, you know, obviously you can't play in the rain. We've done that in college a couple of times. Yeah, sure. If the NBA had to do that, yeah, because you're right. They they used to play on aircraft mil- military aircraft yeah. carriers. Yeah, uh, I think the Sixers have a championship by now.
0: Oh yeah, because you you, normal- you you take away shooting a little bit. Um, yeah,
1: I think yeah. that Horford move last year is the beginning of a dynasty
0: and we're about. <laughs> on out- outdoor NBA <laughs> basketball. We'll uh, we'll, 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 we'll let Adam know. We'll let Adam know. Uh, since since we let him in- install a Colangelo, he owes us a favor anyway. Anyway. Moving on to the mailbag, which will be the majority of this podcast, because we are getting down to the end of the season. I think the sort of projecting ahead is a little more interesting anyway, even in a normal season. And this is far from a normal season. So it is even more so the case. So let's uh, we'll start off with the most immediate one, which is coming up here. This one from Nolan. What would be the best outcome of the Nets Bucks miniseries? Would it be a split?
1: It would either be a split or the Bucks winning both.
0: Yeah. So right now, the Nets are a half game up on the Sixers. Both teams have 21 losses on the season. The Sixers, of course, have that tiebreaker. The Bucs are three games back from the Sixers, with the Bucks having that tiebreaker. And we're talking about, what, there is nine games left for the Sixers to play. We are getting close enough where I'm almost tempted to say, let Milwaukee I think take I think it's
1: the Bucs winning both. I don't think the Sixers are going to lose three times.
0: No, that, that, that's exactly right. And the Sixers, uh, Milwaukee has three more losses than the Sixers do. That means the Sixers would have to lose three games even f- and, and Milwaukee went out, which Milwaukee winning out isn't completely impossible if they win these two games. Once they get past uh, Brooklyn, they have a real easy schedule down The stretch, assuming Giannis comes back from that ankle injury. Um, so there is a minor risk in Milwaukee winning out if they win both of these games. It's a minor risk. I don't think the Sixers are losing 3 games. Anyway, so yeah, give me a Milwaukee sweep. Uh that will give the Sixers the leg up, especially if 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 Brooklyn drops 2. You end and I think the second Milwaukee Brooklyn game is on Monday. If at Monday you are a game and a half, two games up on the Nets with the tiebreaker, you're in a real good spot. And you're getting back to the point where you might be able to rest Joe a game or two at the end there. Um that Owen four week might not end up costing you, which is pretty stunning. There have been some surprising results here. I mean, Milwaukee losing to Houston just completely randomly. Um, Kevin Porter. Yeah. There's been some surprising results here that have come to the Sixers' uh, benefit. And this is where you give the Sixers credit. Like, we might complain about the junk schedule they're playing here and the fact that they're winning every night. What was it? Three games by 97 points. Uh, they, They won by the last three. We might complain about that. And it is tough analytically to... I mean, you're just not measuring them against anything. You're not even measuring them against real NBA teams at this point, much less a playoff-caliber team. But, to their credit, they're taking care of business, whereas some other teams are not.
2: As you all know by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using the BetMGM lines to make all our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use the bonus code TABasketball 21 plus to wager. Visit MGM.com for terms and conditions. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Nevada, New York, and Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in Colorado, D.C., Illinois, Indiana. in Nevada and New York. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use the bonus code TABasketball and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,000 first bet offer on your first wager.
1: Yeah, we're not judging them on, okay, how is this team looking for a playoff series for the most part? This has become completely results-based. Can you get that one seed? Then we can talk about... What you're, I mean, we obviously do talk about what they're going to look like in the playoffs because, hey, you know, these games kind of stink, but for the most part, just win, baby. And that's, uh, that's what they, uh, are doing right now. I, uh, yeah, I think the more you think about it, yeah, two, two bucks wins would, man, I don't know if they're going to lose twice. I know they have a tough flying back to back this week, but I don't know, man. This, I do yeah. not see too many more lo- losses in this.
0: Yep. No, the that that the, that stretch. Uh, there's a travel concern in there, and then there is the Miami concern at the end. Other than that, they should take care of business. So I am leaning towards um, Milwaukee sweeping that. But really, any outcome benefits the Sixers. Uh, like worst case scenario, is they're a half game back of of Brooklyn, and Brooklyn still has a relatively tough stretch to play. And in and we, that scenario, Milwaukee's out of contention for the two seed anyway. Yeah. So all of them, there's there's good to come from pretty much anything. Uh, all right. So we're going to move on to Mike. Who do you think will be the Sixers closing lineup in the playoffs? I sort of answered this, uh, in a, a Q and a, I did the other day over at the athletic.com slash Sixers beat. Uh, so rich, the floor is yours.
1: I think it'll be situational. Honestly, you know, I think the, the four players who I expect to be in that closing lineup are, uh, I mean, it it might only be three and a half to like Danny Green. I can't say that as well as he has played this year, he's going to be pencil. He's going to be just completely in the lineup at all times. I I think, though, realistically, you're looking at Ben, Joel, Tobias, Danny would be the the fourth just because feels like he's got the uh, the most well-rounded type of game. I would say Um, when it comes to the playoffs, you can stick him on some. Relatively tough players, and he, he is your three-point volume guy. Um, if you made me pick a five, I think it would be those four, and George Hill would yep. be the primary one. But like, let's be honest here. If Seth Curry is bombing away from three and there's a place you can hide him, he could certainly be in that matchup. And then he's probably second on the reserve list and if you need defense and Matisse is figuring out a way to uh you know do the uh, credit to uh Mike O'Connor the the Bruce Brown cuts and you know some of the i would say garbage offense he got last night and i mean that in a very yeah positive way like yeah. just cleaning up the the trash getting the the scraps and cutting and doing all of the figurative dirty work that uh that is kind of required of him um plus you know just making threes as well the uh so yeah i, I would say like if you're going to make me pick a five put uh put hill in there with danny green but you could for offense and defense see either of those other two guys in a closing lineup and yeah. i i think matisse probably is going to be in the closing lineup against some of these teams
0: yeah i think uh i think that is right um you know i think the if you had to pick a base it would be george hill with the the other starters um in in seth curry's spot but like you said if seth curry's hot or if they really need shooting or if maybe it's a matchup where um george hill isn't really able to compete defensively and he just becomes a low usage offensive player who's okay defensively but overmatched then you might see Mat- matisse come in uh, I think there is a little bit of flexibility, a little bit of flexibility and a lack of perfect options. So I think that will, that leads to some changes depending on situational needs and matchups for sure. For sure. But I think, I think he'll, Hill will close most of them
1: is what I would say. What a crazy season for the bench, by the way, you know, you have the, the hot start, you know, I guess it wasn't too long live that, that early Washington game where we were saying, nope. Yeah. Oh the night shifts back and look at Maxi and the ball handling yeah. and shake looks great. And then they were terrible for a long stretch. And, you know, it wasn't just one player. Like, you know, Dwight played one of the best games I've seen him play in a Sixers uniform last night. And recently he's had some, some big moments. He was dog shit for like yeah. four weeks yep. in the middle of the season. And, you know, shake has certainly had his problems with, you know, I think, Late January, we were we were like, oh, man, this guy is the best contract in the league. What a and I, I still think it is a good value contract. Yeah, sure. But now it's OK. Thank God they have George Hill now who can take a little bit of the playmaking burden I off. Mean, of I, him. Ha- I
0: had people asking whether Shake was going to be out of the playoff rotation completely. Uh, and, and earlier in the season, it was, well, how can you not start Shake? And now it's sort of normalized back a little bit to like, yeah, he's frustrating at times, but he also provides a little bit of value in a in a rotational spot. It's a yeah, it's been a real weird bench. And I mean I mean Matisse was unplayable to Unplayable to start the year. He was
1: I I didn't think they were going to be able to get defender in, in, in the league
0: to okay, he's the best defender in the league and still sort of unplayable offensively. It's been a real real weird real weird season. Real weird season.
1: Um let's not also forget uh Korkmaz who I looked yeah. this up last night over his last thirty games, he's oh, averaging no 11 points per game and he's shooting 43% from yeah. beyond the arc. And yep. okay. That's, that's an arbitrary point. And before that it wasn't so pretty, but he's like, I don't know. You know, doc mentioned after the game, like I'm going to keep playing these five, at least for most of the regular season. And i cork cork is kind of the guy you're, when, when you ask that question, cork is the guy you have in mind. Are you going to whittle this down from a 10 man rotation to a nine or an eight man? And, uh, doesn't seem like it, and I mean, it, I'm not sure that's the right move in terms of playoff prep, but in terms of just like winning regular season games, like yeah, court have yeah, him bomb away from three, sure. Yeah, for
0: sure. That uh, that leads us into a couple more of the questions. So this one comes from Dave. We'll go to Dave first. Will Doc go all the way to the finish line without ramping up the Ben Joel stagger and getting some reps? For a Ben Green Harris Hill playoff viable lineup, so, it doesn't
1: seem like he's, you know, he 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 mentioned it last night that he might mix in a starter, and he he kind of does, like he he waited mixes longer. In Tobias, yeah, and it's not consistent. Sometimes like it's so, no, it's not. Some it's some nights he'll let Tobias play a little longer with these starters. It it seems like sometimes he'll take out Ben quickly to get him back. You know kind of early in the second quarter so we can play most of the second quarter, including minutes with that backup group. But Doc wasn't really clear on the the playoff prep, because I I asked him after the game, are you going to try and whittle this thing down so in the playoffs you know what you're going to do? And he didn't really give a very clear answer, but the answer to that might be no. Uh, Yeah. And I don't know how I feel about that, but... You know, uh, no, I don't. I, I don't think you're going to see major reps from his his
0: his. I I think the the stagger, and I don't think it's necessarily like, I don't think we're guaranteed to see a major Ben Joel stagger, um, to cover up know. the, you know, ten to fifteen minutes per game that that Joe's out. I don't think Ben's going to be on the floor for every one of those minutes. And if you look at the numbers and the numbers, of course, uh, we've cited these before, but in 275 possessions with Simmons without any of the other four starters. The Sixers have a negative 9.6 and 360 possessions with Tobias and none of the other starters. The Sixers have a plus 6.0. Now that plus 6.0 is fueled heavily by not what you would expect by a very good defense. The Ben with no starters lineup is better than offensively than the Tobias with no starters lineup. So that Tobias led lineup success is very heavily dependent on defense. I'm not sure will translate. No. So I'm not sure. I don't. I think I don't there's a the chance
1: we is. see all bench in the first round if it's an easy. They're good for sure. First round series. And
0: I think. I think the solution is necessarily like just have like you don't need to have just Ben to prop up that bench group. You could have Ben and Tobias to prop up that bench group. You could have two of them out there. Um, I think that is a pairing that. It's certainly a pairing that the Sixers leaned on in prior years at times. I think these rotations are going to change pretty substantially. And I I, I agree with you. I'm not entirely sure how I feel about that. Um, but I also look at these games and, well, you're not going to get a real evaluation anyway. So it's, it's, it's tough at this stage to really know what the best outcome is.
1: Yeah. And, you know, I thought Ben and Tobias, that was what the plan was going to be without Embiid. It went, and maybe when push comes to shove and they are playing 42 minutes a game, 43 minutes, you can work it to where you have those two on the floor at all times when, uh, when Joe is off. But for now, I think it might just be Tobias and maybe some all bench look. And yeah, I am a little uneasy about doing when you have to make that switch to a Ben and Tobias group to do that on the fly in the playoffs. I'm sure that you can point to some games throughout the season where maybe they experimented with something like that. But it doesn't feel like they're very purposeful with their experimentation on, on the rotations, at least. Um, and they, I don't know, I guess they're going to just keep trying to win these games, which, as we said, is important. And if they can do it while keeping Embiid's minutes down, you know, you're, you're kind of weighing two different things there. Um if you would factors. have yeah if, if you would have
0: asked me 2 months ago whether the Sixers would keep these 10 man deep rotations I would have I would have thought they would have shrunk them a little bit by now. By now, yeah. But they haven't and it doesn't look like Doc is ready to do that um, in the near term future at least. Uh, all right, so this one comes from where do I want to go? From Stephen. Uh he has 3 questions about Furkan Korkmaz. One, he's an unrestricted free agent, correct? I'll answer that right now. He is. He is. Two, what do you predict for his next contract in terms of dollars and years? And three, if there are no bird rights involved, how do you see the Sixers absorbing his contract if it's anything above the NBA minimum? So I guess we'll start off with the last point because there's a lot of confusion about that. The Sixers will have full bird rights on Furkan Korkmaz. I think a lot of people get confused because, you know, he, he was a first round draft pick. They declined his, the third year of his rookie-scale contract. They then renounced him for the spending spree of the summer of 2019. And then they brought him back on a two-year contract. I think it was, it was what, minimum contract, I think. So I think a lot of people see it, well, it's, it's only a two-year deal, so he they don't have his bird rights. But that's not how it works. Uh, it is service time since when you last changed teams through free agency. Furkan did not change teams through free agency in that summer. So thank God
1: for that. Yeah,
0: seriously. Um, so the, they wanted to sign Kyle Corver worked out in their favor. So since he didn't change teams in free agency in 2019, he has four years of credit towards his bird rights, which gives him full bird rights. Now what it did cost them typically, if he would have played out his four year rookie scale contract, which would still, he he was still been a free agent after this season. But if he would have played that out, he would have been a restricted free agent rather than unrestricted free agent. So the Sixers would have the opportunity to match. But outside of that, there's no real impact. The Sixers, like I said, you can you can decline an option. You can um, renounce a player. If he hasn't changed teams through free agency and you bring him back, you retain those years of service time toward full bird rights. So they do have full bird rights on him. So he's an unrestricted free agent who the Sixers have full bird rights for. So you don't have to worry about the taxpayer mid-level. You don't have to worry about anything like that. You just have his bird rights.
1: Yeah, and then it turns into what type of contract will he get? And I think there's a chance he he gets a decent payday here for for a few reasons. One, the free agent market is terrible this season. So, you know, if there is a trickle-down effect to wherever Cork is, and that's obviously not the top of the market, but you have a 23-year-old who has, has a proven 40% three-point shooter has, on volume. Yeah. Played pretty good. And he's now shot the ball well on volume for two seasons. I don't know. I, I wonder what are the years do you think on his next deal?
0: I think so. I think first of all, I think it, part of it depends on how well he plays in the playoffs because I would guess there's still some skepticism around a league of whether or not he's a playable rotation player in the playoffs because of the defensive concerns, because of just, Um, the ramping up of competition and and the defenses he will go against, if he has a good playoff run where he's averaging 9, 10, 11 points on good efficiency and he's not a complete liability, then I think, you know, I I could see something like two years, 12 million. 12, yeah. Yeah, like I don't think he's getting the full um, non-taxpayer mid-level. I don't think anyone's going to go that hard for him. But I could certainly see somebody looking at him. I think where it starts becoming uncomfortable, I would do like Two years, 12 million, I think. Where it yeah. starts becoming uncomfortable is if somebody offers him like four years, 24 million. That's when you start going, yeah, I don't know. Um, Because I, I
1: su- go ahead. Yeah. And I, I think if you are a team that is trying to build towards the playoffs, maybe you're not worried about making the playoffs next year. He's proven that he can play in a rotation yep. and be pretty malleable with that three point shooting. If you went like 424, I don't know if that's – that is a chance to be a, a value contract. It does, you know? for sure. And if his defense and stuff gets a little better, he'll be 27, 28 at the end of it. So,
0: And to be honest, most of these, when I, when, when it comes to play, they end up getting, I think, a little more than I'm yeah. thinking now uh, just because that's how you get free agents is you overpay for them. Um, so we will, we will see. I think some of it does come down to his, his playoff run, though. Um, the good news is the Sixers can offer him – more than the taxpayer mid-level because they have his full bird rights. So if he plays well, if they're confident in him being a rotation piece, they can keep him around assuming they're comfortable with his next contract. What that will be, we will see. Uh, All right, so this one, also from Steven, uh, with Matisse's recent move to the four, is it crazy to imagine him defending Durant in closing lineups against Nets and his lineup would be Ben on Harden, George Hill on Kyrie, and Matisse on Durant? So this is no. another one I just wrote about in my Q and A.
1: Um, so, all yours. I don't think that's crazy. I, I, I think you start with Ben and say where does he make the most impact. Um, I, I I do worry a little bit about Matisse against Durant because I worry about literally anybody against mm-hmm. Kevin Durant. That's a tough matchup, you know. And it's, I think he's done a a nice job with the the move to the four. You know, George Hill. Putting him into the starting lineup for Mike Scott that pushes everybody down a slot and makes Matisse the four. And you know, you've seen over the past few nights, he's had to guard Gallo on those backup units, which is not the first person I would put on him. You know, he's he's made some steals, but Gallo has also been able to shoot over him at times. Probably not his his best part of it. Uh it, it just to me it just boils down to where do you want to put them? Do you think he can make the biggest impact on Harden? Do you think he can make the biggest impact on Durant? And I honestly think that, I don't know, the more I think about it, we have not seen. <laughs> can you hear as, that? Yeah, yeah. They're going as, nuts. As the cats rumble around in, in the room, that Harden has been the engine of the Nets offense for most of this season. And look, they have not played that much together, but Durant to me just seems like you can pencil him in for his 25 to 30 points on efficient shooting. Yeah. So, so to answer your question, yeah, I can see that.
0: It is tough because I think Durant is one of those players where it doesn't really matter too much. Like I almost feel like putting Ben on him is wasting Ben because he's just going to shoot over. him. It's going to be a lot like Kawhi two years ago. Um, I'm not sure he's going to stop him all that much anyway. Whereas I think he can at least disrupt Harden a little bit and also disrupting Harden a little bit takes him out of their offensive flow a little bit. And I'm going to, I'm going to quantify, or qu- I'm going to, qualify everything i say with a little bit because they're <laughs> so good i don't know how much you can really disrupt them
1: you're just doing the best you can that's yeah. what we're talking about
0: but i think i think I've, i think what you do is you put ben on harden because i think if you can frustrate harden it'll take them out of more of their offense and i think you put matisse honestly i probably put matisse on um kyrie, kyrie because again he's such a a dynamic pick and roll or off the dribble player get a little bit of length on him uh, maybe he can disrupt him a little bit and then with Durant, you just sort of like live with whatever he does, because I think he's going to do it no matter who's guarding him.
1: Let's but say it. Tobias, Tobias is what you're, you're Tobias
0: thinking. in the starting lineup, just because he's bigger. It's really just because he's bigger and taller than Danny Green. Um, a little bit of Danny Green. That's not going to work out well. We've Ooh. seen that. But, you know, I it, it it's just it's it's tough. And look, I wouldn't have such a defeatist attitude about defending Durant if they didn't also have Harden and Kyrie. Uh, I would then say, yeah, throw Ben on him and see how he does. He's probably going to shoot over him and score efficiently anyway, and it's not going to be Ben's fault, but Ben's your best defender, put him on him. Um, but you do have two other elite, elite offensive players, and I think Ben has a better chance of being an impact defender on those two. It's a tough spot. It's a, I mean that's why they're the favorites to win East.
1: It's a tough spot. Yeah, I'm leaning towards Ben on, uh, on Harden as well.
0: I think uh, I think that's just about it. I don't want to we don't want I don't want to keep you too long cuz we just you just heard us talk for what what was it? I think that pod was released less than 24 hours ago. So we don't want to jabber on too much. Uh, anything else you really uh, any any stray thoughts you had uh here coming down a stretch?
1: Did you see the video of Howie Roseman getting dissed in the in the draft room? No, I didn't. He was he got dissed by one of the older scouts. And for some reason cameras were allowed in. So (sighs) the, what was supposed to be like a live shot of him and Lurie holding like
0: 16 phones, which they love to do.
1: And the group high-fiving like there was one guy who was off in the corner who was just pissed with, I think it was a defensive tackle that they took. And anyway, I was watching that and thinking, man, I wish the Sixers, some of their, their moments throughout the years were,
0: uh,
1: broadcasts, you know. Yeah,
0: like, get like, like like a video of Courtney Witty as Sam and his team are running the draft room. That could have been fun.
1: Could have been fun. Well, well yeah, the the draft room, the first draft room where
0: where he wasn't really in. Yeah, just, could have definitely been interesting. Could have been interesting. Uh Yeah, I'll have to I'll have to go check that out. I'll Have to go check that out. Um Yeah, it's about I'm like I said, we just we just did a podcast a couple days ago, so we don't want to keep you too long. So quick out. Thank you, Rich, for jumping on, and we will talk to you soon.
2: See you, man.